0: Welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Join us as we chat about the weird and wild world of small cap investing, all while searching for the precious few fast growing businesses that have a shot at becoming industry giants.
1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to the Baby Giants Investing Podcast. Joining us today is the straw man himself, Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com. Andrew, how are you going? I'm doing very well, sir. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Excited. Excited to be uh, on a podcast again. And, uh, yes. Yeah, and catching up. Just like old times. Absolutely, <laughs> chatting stocks. Um, and of course, we've got the excellent Kevin Fong. Kev, how are you?
1: Really good, Matt. Um, great to be here and excited to chat a bit about stocks today as well, mate
0: yeah excellent so we've got we're, uh, we're we're going for for small but fast growing small interesting stuff we've got a couple today to chat about the first one is Redbubble, which is a bit of a battleground stock at the moment i think the most sh- second most shorted stock on the asx which is kind of interesting um and then, spicy yeah absolutely and the second one is ava risk group which i think um Andrew, you're going to, you know, I actually, when I was researching this before we chatted, I was checking on YouTube and there's like a video of you on Ausbus talking about it. So, so, you know, pretty ah. well. um, yeah, but maybe to kick off, we could start with, uh, start with Redbubble. So, uh, this is a company, I, I mean, maybe, maybe to kick off, we could just talk a little about, um, about what it does so i guess this is a three-sided marketplace right this is kind of the the way that they pitch it i guess that that's something that the bears could dispute what type of what type of company it really is but um the red bubble description would be a three-sided marketplace where you can go and buy kind of any printed on-demand product so anything you want any any art um design you're looking for like a wacky t-shirt or something you could go to go to Redbubble and and order it um, yeah have you have you ordered anything from uh from Redbubble, andrew
2: I have, actually. um, A couple things. Um, And I have to say, it was a pretty good experience. Yeah. Uh, And it was a t-shirt, one of them, and um, it's still in in pretty good nick. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it yeah I mean hey, let me just quickly go just go back just a second who can you explain to me what the three sides
0: are yeah of, yeah. of this marketplace? yeah great great question so i guess the the first so a typical two sided marketplace would be matching buyers and sellers, right so mm-hmm. in this case it would be you know you're you're going to go and buy something buy your t shirt something like that, um and the seller would be the person who produced the art or in other marketplaces maybe even produced an old t-shirt and in Redbubble's mm-hmm. model there's a third party which is um the fulfiller so they, these are the people who actually do the printing on demand so you've kind of got artists upload some designs uh the, the fulfiller you know prints them sends them ships them off does all the hard work there um and then the buyer hopefully has a has a you know a quirky t-shirt or sticker or whatever else you want to get from it um but yeah face mask yeah face mask exactly yeah come to that's that where myself. they
1: exploded last year yeah sure did
0: yeah that's right so um yeah it's a pretty wild time last year i guess i think it was really beaten up in the in the depths well i guess everything was um but yeah it's 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 had a pretty wild ride um yeah, I guess what would, you, what would you say has been the um, – have you heard much about it on, on strawman.com, Andrew? Has there been been much interest on that side?
2: Yeah, a, a little bit. I, I've got to say it doesn't rank uh, particularly uh, highly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 188th uh, at this point in time. That being said, the people who do back it and follow it consider it um, around about fair value uh, mm-hmm. at this point in time. Um, we had a few people who have gone on there speaking of um, – uh, testing it out, I've actually tested it out from the artist perspective, and having produced um, a bit of art to get get fulfilled on a t shirt and stuff. And they have spoken about that experience, which has been really interesting. So I haven't I haven't done that side of it, but I'll be honest, it's not a company I know particularly well. I remember looking at it a little while ago, and I'll just put my hand up. It's, it's it's one of those companies that's it's not really that hard to wrap your head around, although I did find myself really struggling with the the um some of the nuance with it and and so I kind of ended up putting it in the two high baskets so I'm really keen to sort of see what you guys have to say
0: Yeah maybe we could break down both sides I guess it is a is a classic battleground stock um yeah Kev do you want to just give a, some of the highlights I guess the the bull thesis on this one what are, what are people like about
1: it Yeah absolutely Matt I think one of the first things is that for filler side and I think that's somewhat unique to you know, some other marketplaces. You've got other things like sort of Etsy, which basically, as you said, are the, the two-sided marketplace, which uh, match a buyer and a seller. But introducing that for filler, it basically takes out that uh, production side uh, for artists. And that's a big, big sort of hurdle that they can overcome, right? Because the artist then can concentrate basically on their creative side. They don't have to worry about ordering the the product, keeping the stock, sending it out, uh, Redbubble handles all of that side. So that's a really good model for artists, I guess, who are, I guess, struck for time um, and, you know, they can just concentrate on uh, doing doing the art piece and then um, people come on and then buy the t-shirt and they don't have to, and Redbubble sort of sorts all that side out. Um, a couple of the other things that we can touch on is because they've got that fulfiller side to it, there's um, what they call sort of a negative... Uh, working capital model and what that means is really the uh, the purchases come on they say buy a customized t-shirt with an art piece on it and Redbubble will receive that money up front Mm. what that means is they can fund the business with that money um, and then order the print um, then pay the artist then pay the fulfiller so it means that like they're not having to really cash flow that business. So that's a really big advantage in terms of when we're starting to look at sort of valuations and funding for the business, it's a great win for the business there.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge, right? It's, it's, it's something that I've come to appreciate more recently. And I think particularly during COVID, businesses that had that model, um, if you don't have that model, you have to hold working capital it sounds sounds kind of boring. it is kind of boring <laughs> frankly and a lot of uh, a lot of highly paid accountants and execs try and minimize working capital basically you have to hold you have to pay for all the stock, leave it sitting there in your warehouse you know that ties up a huge amount of cash. it also slows you down. it means if you're growing, you have to raise capital to fund that all um, you can have businesses run into real trouble, but Redbubble has this um, very fortunate position where they don't need to do that. They rely, they're using someone else's working capital effectively. Like the, the printers um, kind of take a lot of that risk. And so they, yeah, they get paid upfront. They um, then have a time before they ship it. And then time before they have to pay their suppliers. So it means that last year when they grew exceptionally like all e-commerce or a lot of e-commerce companies did during COVID, they didn't have to, you know, go out and raise capital, um, they could just fund a lot of this internally. Basically, their customers kind of funded their growth.
2: That sounds really nice. If if something goes wrong, like if I don't get my t shirt or something, who's who's liable for that?
0: Yeah, good question. I think um, ultimately Redbubble is. So they, you know, if you if you look for feedback from them, that's that was one of the biggest complaints last year. Is. Um, people not getting stuff on time, which was, was not just Redbubble to be fair. It was everyone, but that is, yeah, that's a really interesting point because there's a new CEO who's, who's come in recently and that's one of his main focus points is increasing the quality and consistency of suppliers. Um, and I guess the other thing to remember, this is a global business, right? So it's not just Australia by any, Australia is like a few percent of their total revenue. It's, you know, us, Mm. Europe, um, effectively almost worldwide so there's a lot of you know there's producers all over the place basically you have to make sure that they're producing well and they don't have as much incentive to do it well right they're just trying to um, get their margins on their products so yeah but that isn't a really interesting part of the model okay cool
2: i guess the other really attractive thing here is as well kev you're talking about so allows the artist to sort of do what they do without having to worry about getting it made and all the rest of it but i guess the other big opportunity here for them is that there's there's a bunch of people who go there as a destination to buy stuff. So you also get access to this, this huge potential customer base. And that's probably the other main part of, of the bull case here is this phenomenal network effect, which I'm sure all our listeners will be very familiar with. You know, the more people that shop there make it more attractive for artists, which means that there's more artists on there, which means there's more uh, uh, content, which attracts more buyers. And you have this wonderful sort of feedback loop. Is that is that a fair comment?
1: Absolutely, I think it's it, it's that snowball effect. I mean, as Redbubble continues to grow, what they're doing is they're adding a whole bunch of artists, and they're also adding, you know, a, a whole bunch of different products. So they, you know, started with simple things like you know masks and T-shirts and and stationery, but then now they're moving into you know very customizable things like even like iPhone cases and and everything else. And it just means that say you were an artist yourself and you had to then go out and contract a a fulfiller to produce all these goods you then have to hold all this different amount of stock and um, Mm. as the business sort of starts to grow and momentum builds they can sort of double down on um, particular categories like for instance last year when masks were working really well they were able to produce these at you know huge amounts of volume to to satisfy that and also the great thing is that you know as a as a buyer as somebody you know, as a consumer coming onto the website, you've got this, this landing space where you've got so many different options uh, in terms of choices uh, for products and also types of designs. And that's like a, a, I guess Redbubble sort of aggregating all that sort of art and uh, all, all these goods all into the one umbrella. So um, yeah, it's a really great place to sort of house all that and for, for them to look. And it's something that they sort of leverage on in terms of you know, working that uh Google sort of algorithm um to bring down their their acquisitions costs of um of users.
0: Yeah, I think to um kind of counter some of that as well, there is there's a bear case here, right? So that the the bulls would definitely say that um I think you called feedback loop, they would say it is a flywheel on flywheels or something like that. I've heard, the, I've heard a lot of criticism of how many times flywheels used in, the, in their presentations. Great word. <laughs> That's a great word. Um, so I think that the criticism is that um, there isn't actually that much repeat um, visitation to the site. And I think this is a pretty fair criticism um, that I think even Redbubble is kind of copying to now. So if you look um, if you look at the number of kind of, unique uh, purchases. I think it's like basically people don't repurchase within the same year. I think it's like 1.1 or 1.05 or something kind of packages per unique customer. So um, effectively, what that means is within the well, yeah within within one year, people aren't repeat purchasing a lot. So it kind of makes you wonder if you compare to other e-commerce where you want someone to kind of come and find your product, you probably want them to keep shopping and make it a habit. And I think the the challenge that um, Redbubble has there is that it's it's kind of job to be done. Its use case is largely tied to gifting because I think it's kind of like you want to get something someone something that's um, quite unique. Uh, so you and the way that they get found currently is not people going to Redbubble primarily. I think it's primarily people searching in Google and typing in like, you know, Andrew loves crocodiles or actually I'll do something real here. Andrew loves investing, right? And like, maybe I don't Maybe I, don't. I, like, crocodiles. I like crocodiles as well. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know Andrew that well, but I'm like, he seems like investing guy, you know, like maybe a secret Santa and you got like a 50 buck limit or something. So you just go out and you type like investing in, right. And you get like pictures of Warren Buffett and whatever else. And then you can get yeah. that printed on a mug and whatever. So, but the thing is you probably go to um, Google. You probably don't, if you don't know about Red Bull, you go, you know, like Warren Buffett, T-shirt or something, and then Redbubble will come up, um, and so that means it's not it's not like a habit that's re- you know as repeatable. If it's a quirky gift, it's something that you're not likely to as likely to do again immediately, and it also means that they have to pay a Google tax um, for any kind of for a large share of their traffic that comes through.
2: Can I ask a, a couple questions on that? Because um, just, just in doing a bit of prep for, I just opened up their most recent investor deck and there's a slide there that says repeat purchases made up 42% of their marketplace revenue. Um, how, how, how do you, do you the, Yeah, yeah, great yeah. question
0: because that I think is something that um, is really... So the way that they count it is people who have been to the site in a prior year um, purchasing in the same year. And I guess what is the big difference there? So there is still... There is something to that. And particularly last year where there was a a whole lot of um, mask sales, right? If you um, are trying to find somewhere to buy something online, maybe you've gone there and and you went back to Redbubble. But the kind of the new people that sign up it's um, maybe it's like an annual purchase. Maybe that's part of what we're seeing, but it's not something where you get your clothes from there, from then on. I guess that's at least ah. for a large share. And I think it's not all their customers. They do have, you know, they have other ways they're addressing this. They have an app that they get people going back to. Um, and once you're on that, now they're starting to do a lot more marketing. I think culturally, you we'll get into that in a sec, but they didn't used to basically market their products very much. They had like a very artist kind of hippie artist type, um, anti-commercial kind of view on things. Um, very so pro yeah, very proud, that's 100%. Um, so I think, but, for, but yeah, that's basically how you reconcile the two. And it, it took me a little while to get my head around because they, they talk up a lot of repeat purchases, but I don't think it's um, the type of repeat purchases that you'd typically like to see at other e-commerce sites where you buy one, you know, shirt and you're like, hey, this is a great place to get my shirts. I'll buy it in two months time and then in three months time. It's, it's not that level of repeat at all at the moment. Gotcha, yeah.
1: gotcha. I think, I think that's a really good point, Matt, because um, I, I myself, you know, Full disclosure: I do hold Bubble shares, and um, I did try out the product last year. And it was during that mass, uh, the time when you know COVID first hit, and I went online and uh, selected just a meme um, that was a, that I thought would look funny on a mask design. What was, mass, what was your um, mask? What was your meme? Yeah, like, I have you to ask. It, yeah. it's, <laughs> really. it's the, uh, don't leave that hanging. <laughs> it is the infamous uh, the dog that sits on the uh, table with the room on fire. Uh, oh my god him. i got and the same mask we haven't talked oh, about this before what? yeah and, and then he says this is fine yeah yeah, yeah. correct that's, that's the same <laughs> i wonder we if that was the most popular
0: mask. mask. that's hilarious yeah that was a mask <laughs> i got that mask during during lockdowns as well i don't really wear it oh. that that much i guess um i don't know did, did you get any reactions to that <laughs> to your well, mask? i did i've
1: had i've had a few people sort of comment on it uh, especially at the, at the shops and the supermarket and whatever but um <laughs> i think one of the the big things from that was that you know the the delivery did take a little while i think it was like sort of one or two weeks um for the turnaround um so that was sort of the initial feedback and then i guess the the second part of that would be the quality of the mask like it was um probably wasn't the highest quality mask out there yeah it's like um, a, piece, a and,
0: piece of fabric basically with some
1: yeah elastic absolutely so yeah pretty pretty basic in terms of like not even really the stitching uh, on the sides or anything. And I think that's sort of been one of the big knocks on on Redbubble is that that quality piece. Um, And I think, Matt, you also own um, a couple of T-shirts as well. So... um Maybe mm-hmm. you can sort of talk about the quality there, but like my personal <laughs> you
0: know, experience,
1: it was great at the start and then started to fall apart. I think
0: it varies a bit as well by the different supplier. I don't know if it's the same supplier for all of Australia. No, I, I know that it's not. Um, but yeah, I think some of them, um, some products are basically varying quality, right? Which just affects your trust of the brand.
2: 100%. From memory, when I did it, it was just you could sort of choose the color and size. But I didn't. I, I feel I, from memory, I, I, there was a I, there was a sort of a more premium option. Is it, or is that changed? Do I do I have any say on the 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 actual thing that the art is printed on, or is it just you take what's there?
0: Yeah, you've got lots. So um, I think it okay. started being like one t-shirt option, a couple of t-shirt options, and now there's like I don't know eight different types of t-shirts and other like long sleeve things and then there's i mean dozens of other you could have it printed on like a jigsaw puzzle and like a mug and a throw pillow and all sorts of stuff it's like yeah they keep adding more which um yeah which i think kind of makes sense i guess for what they're doing it's you can kind of scale that um you know you've got that fixed base of all of the uh, people that have signed up all the art and just kind of makes sense to put it on more stuff um but it does come back to that thing of like what type of store is it i guess like is it is it some is it a gifting platform or or not and um yeah and, I, and to the art i guess one other kind of risk one part of the bear case so um we haven't actually seen like a, a short seller report on this that, that i'm aware of at least but it is about 10 percent of the shares are sold short so that's pretty big it's about a hundred million dollar bet that um people are making on, on the shares falling which is the second most shorted on the asx i believe at the moment so it's it's a pretty big swing and um one of the one of the things that hasn't got that much attention is just the legal risk um so basically a lot of the art gets uploaded and it's not necessarily original art and there's like a sliding scale of of how bad that is some which they've had lawsuits before um ironically one with hell's angels so hell's angels weren't too happy that you could buy hell's angel branding on red bubble <laughs> which is so with a
2: couple bikies knocking on the ceo's door late at night or a brick through the
0: <laughs> through the boardroom window or something I would, I would settle that one quickly if it was me. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah and so the, i guess the risk is maybe you know there's more lawsuits coming through there could be potentially a finding that could affect them a lot if a lot of other people you know jump on board with that and then they'd have to i don't know i guess cut their art or increase their cost of making sure it's all compliant so yeah that's one of the other kind of um black swan-ish things it's not that black swan I guess it's pretty foreseeable but yeah and just on
2: something you mentioned before in terms of uh Google I, I've heard this is a bit of a not necessarily a bear case but a worry is that they, they are potentially extracting a lot of the value if I mean these sponsored links that come up Google obviously gets paid for that kind of stuff do you guys have a sense as to what that is and what that margin is and and how it's evolving
0: yeah, I mean, it, it eats into, a, they basically have a paid cost of acquisition, which, um, mm-hmm. you know, can run from, I think during the pandemic, it fell a lot, partly that was um, part of, I guess, the, the head fake for for some of the people that were really long when it was at higher prices was that it um, It seemed like maybe they were lowering their cost of acquisition, but it, it runs from like 10 to 15% of the cost of of, of, of revenue, effectively, which when you mm-hmm. think that they've also, I guess, out of that total revenue, they've also got all that, those supplier Margins, etc. Basically, it's a pretty big, pretty big um, take, and so that is okay. kind of what they're constantly balancing: is um, you know the cost of acquisition. and the, I guess to the you know, there's positives here. They can um, be profitable on the first purchase, so they you know that's mm-hmm. kind of one of their rules, which is quite different from a lot of other. If you look at the US, the ecom, they'll you know they'll wait a couple of years to get their money back on on a customer they acquire. But it does mean um, that there's a large cost, and it scales up with the business like it's hard to get ahead of that basically and there's yeah efforts they're trying to do there around having their own app having having repeat traffic all that stuff basically helps to help out with all of that um yeah and i guess okay. at the moment there's um another wrinkle kev which we've seen in a few which is the kind of apple changes and and kind of impacts of that um
1: yeah yeah ab- absolutely it. not like it's it's that the the ios changes that uh everybody seems to be talking about in the news at the minute is uh, relates to sort of the IDFA stuff. Um, and basically what has happened is uh, people are now given the choice or uh, Apple users at least are now given the choice to uh, opt out of uh, companies like uh, Redbubble tracking them. And particular in particular, that's you know got to do with sort of the Facebook platforms and, and the Google platforms. And it means that... Um, Redbubble no longer can track or have or analyze like where um, their ad dollars are being spent and how that user is actually coming to the site, and because of that, they then don't have as much clarity, and um, they're having to spend a whole lot more money um, to acquire and advertise on these platforms for not as much info to determine whether or not that user is coming in and coming in through it through a series of. Things that you know they can are getting a really good return on, and that really matters most because for Redbubble, like as we said, um, the users aren't coming back at a very high frequency rate, and a lot of that has to be has to do with that gifting part of the the business model, right? Like when you're going to be giving, say, Andrew a T-shirt um, this year maybe for his birthday next year, you probably won't be giving that T-shirt again. So it makes that. It's how p- he is. Even-
0: it's been good and it's-
1: <laughs> No, that's true. A trash.
0: And very a gift. I, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Not that I'll give him a gift next year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's true.
2: laughs> i nope. coffee mugs, phone covers. <laughs>
1: Whatever. <laughs> it just it just changes up that, that product mix, I guess, a little bit. So um, yeah. I, I think that's the the challenge for Redbubble in in, in terms of that stuff. Um, and you know, with rising costs, the other thing is like because a lot of their traffic also comes from sort of I guess organic. Um, searches from Google, like um, we saw that a couple of years ago when Google did change their algorithm, um, red bubbles traffic did sort of fall off a cliff there as well. So when you're, when you're, or part of your business model is in the hands of the, the Google gods, it, it is still a risk. Mm.
0: Yeah. So it, I think it's going to be a fascinating one to see the battle. Like there's people bidding a lot of money that it will not do too well. Um, and, and uh, you know, the counter to that, it's sitting on a on a lot of cash Um, I guess the the big thing we'll watch the next couple of quarters, they're they're rolling off really tough comps, as you might say, comparables to the prior year where they had this huge COVID bump. They're not selling... Many, if any, um, face masks anymore because we've moved on to get better masks, or everyone has a mask if they if they want to have one. Uh, we'll get into that debate, um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see what see what happens. I think it's going to be pretty fascinating to see, um, you know, how the bear thesis kind of emerges and battles, and we'll uh, probably follow that one in future eps. Uh, but yeah, maybe we should oh, go on. Go on, Andrew. Yeah,
2: I just just one more thing that I, I guess was a thought bubble for me when I was looking at it a while ago is that. Is there a potential for them to be a little bit of a victim of their own success, in the sense that, from my read of it, there's you know thousands of artists on there, but like you know, like with Spotify and a lot of things, it's sort of that top ten percent that really make it worthwhile. So let's say I'm a really good artist. Um, you really have to use your <laughs> imagination here, but imagine that I am, and that I get a real following mm-hmm. and I start making some good money here. I, I could I maybe this is oversimplistic, but could I just not set up my own, you know, uh, my own site direct and, and take my customer. If I've got a loyal following people like my own, well, probably I should get into the NFT space, which is a whole other conversation. I like how you're already, already do...
0: planning all the success. That you have. <laughs> like, oh, maybe <laughs> yeah, I should, should I actually right. go NFT.
2: Maybe I should, what should I do here? Yeah. I can make up a board ape or something <laughs> like that, but yeah, but, but I just, I, is, is that a, a potential where like, once you get some traction and some loyalty from a particular artist that they just sort of say, well, this is great, but, and it's been really helpful in sort of getting my notoriety up there, but, but, now I'll go solo and I'll take all all of my fans with me?
0: It's a really excellent question. I think if I was um, a strategic tip that an area I'd like to see them explore is just providing more tools to enable people to make it more their own like those super creators and basically influencers right we've all seen how yeah. how huge some of the followings these influencers are at the moment they can put it on on red but it's not as it's not really their own in the same way and i, I just think that's those basically those tools they could build out a lot but yeah so that is a challenge i think though ironically it hasn't been as much of a problem but not for like a reason that's that great for Redbubble, which is just that i don't think um, there is as much of a um, power lawyers, as you'd expect there isn't as much of these super artists on there like because mm-hmm. of the fact that people are finding them by searching for um you know warren buffett t-shirt or whatever that's less driven by the artist i think it would be actually yeah. be better ironically if they were up against that battle a bit more because it would mean that the artists are really driving traffic to them and people are going to them for oh, the artist right. but yeah i, I do think that's a risk basically if they are if you have people be really successful and they can move to other places where they have a better, better kind of take rate. So yeah, another, another good angle to dig into.
2: Um, okay, cool. And, and sorry, Jim, I, know, I know you want to move on. <laughs> That's it's, good. It's an interesting, it's an interesting business. And and again, I hadn't looked at it for a while, but in prep for the episode, I sort of had a look and like revenues doubled in the last two years, they've tipped into profitability. I heard the CEO say recently that they've got this revenue target, which is basically going to double where they are now by 2024. Mm-hmm. And it's on a P of 42. Now, you know, that's sort of up there, but not really in the context of a, of a company that's, that has grown pretty fast. I mean, it, has, um, it hasn't scaled too well until recently. But I mean, that top line growth is really phenomenal. phenomenal. I've they've mentioned a $300 billion addressable US dollar market. Um, it, is, it, it just If they get anywhere close to that, it seems as though that's potentially really cheap. So it's just sort of one comment that I make. I'd be keen to hear if that's that's sort of um, part of your thinking there, Kev. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think you make some really good points there, Andrew. Like, um, I, I guess if Redbubble can sort of execute well, I think the management have uh, taken some really big steps recently. Um, they've like there was a lo- lot of low-hanging fruit for them sort of to tackle um, in terms of like even going after sort of their users to, to drive that repeat usage. Um, they're also sitting on a, a pretty big war chest. Like from the, the great result last year, um, they're sitting on sort of $109 million in cash and no debt. So um, there is like a lot of money there uh, potentially to do future acquisitions or to really reinvest heavily into the platform, which is what they're doing right now. Um, it's all about, I think, sort of executing on the next, uh, sort of year and sort of building on that big COVID jump that they received. Um, I think mm-hmm. that the more that um, it becomes a bit more of a name and becomes known and becomes that, you know, place where people go for that gift or that idea, I think that that will drive a lot of a lot of business. It's been really quite successful in the US. I guess it's a little bit smaller in, the, in Australia. But um, yeah, I think, you know, if they can sort of address, I guess, some of the quality issues getting sort of the users to um, spend more and spend again, um, I think that will go a long way in um, getting to that big target.
2: It does seem like an odd, sh- well, we're we're assuming, I guess, well, I'm assuming that the short thesis here is largely one of valuation, and I'm not a shorter um, uh, because I suck at timing and that seems to be pretty important when it comes to shorting. But it's sort of like if I was, I guess I'd be trying to make bets on companies that are going to fold, mm. like go to zero and it just – Again, I'm not. I'm not close to this space, but it seems as those short theses built around valuation are precarious to my mind, because the market can do silly things for a long time. Assuming that the market um, is is doing something silly, um, which which as we've sort of explored is is perhaps debatable, but you know. it uh, do you guys agree or is there something like massively more fundamental that I'm potentially missing? Yeah, no,
0: I think you're right. I think that if you, if the case was Red Bull was going to go bankrupt, that seems really unlikely based on their business model. Um, At least anytime soon, they've got um, a very experienced CEO at the helm. They've got a huge amount of cash. They don't, um, have to hold a lot of inventory they don't have a lot of risk there so I think that side 100% I think that I guess the thing that we haven't touched on that much is just how much their revenue coming through down this year so like the last quarterly result revenue was down I think 20% uh, on the prior quarter and obviously that was um, very very significantly helped by face masks so I think that they said excluding mass sales um, it was what did they say improved from yeah, negative 11% Saturday. in July. Yeah. It's still down down 6%. There you go. Yeah. Down 6%. Um, and they're saying it's like uh, we're starting to get back to growth, but I guess the question, so on the valuation front, would be, is this company going to keep growing again? Because it had had struggles where it goes through a bit of a patch, and then Google changes something and looks really bad. Like, is this something where it has organic growth engines? And that's, I guess, the the CEO's big challenge. We just get to sit here and judge. But um, you're right. I think that if the, I'd, I'd be surprised if the bear case is this company is going bankrupt, so and it's not that type of thing. But maybe, maybe, maybe the bears are just, you know, seeing, that, you know, how long will the hope be sustained, or something like that. Yeah, be the way I think about mm.
2: it. probably made a lot more sense because the share price has halved since the start of the year although yep. up fourfold since the start of 2020 <laughs> um but yeah it's just sort of like the further that falls the harder that valuation shortcase becomes yeah uh, i guess just logically speaking so yeah anyway, and and very interesting. yeah
0: fascinatingly the, the the shorts have all come on recently so since may it was at around one yeah. percent short interest now it's 10, over 10 percent. so that's a, a lot of money wow. um but yeah maybe uh that's not a good segue at all, but our segue us anyway. <laughs> 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 well, risk. What which, risk? What, how do we think about risk? Ah, AVA risk. Why don't we talk about AVA risk? Andrew, Andrew <laughs> give us that a bit works. of an overview of uh, of of AVA risk. What kind of maybe how it came on your radar as well? Because this is not not something that you know a lot of people would have heard of. I think maybe maybe in some of the the circles. Um, that you run and maybe it's become a bit better known as you said before, but I think generally it's not hugely well understood by the market. So yeah, maybe how you came across it and a bit about what the business does.
2: Well, it's, it's definitely of a different scale to Redbubble. Um, so the market cap here, here is a little bit over a hundred million, uh, dollars. So it's, it's pretty tiny in the scheme of things. I actually came across it through straw man. Someone made a post on it. I just sort of, um, clicked into it and it looked really interesting. And again, full disclosure, I've, I've got shares in this business. Um, they, they market themselves as a global security and risk management business. So essentially, they've got a variety of tech solutions, and it's all about protecting high-value assets. And it's a pretty niche area, but they operate in over a diff, 100 different uh, uh, countries. They've got thousands of different um, uh, customers and deployments. Um, uh, it's, it's a little bit hard to look at at this point in time because they've just divested the biggest part of their business, at least in terms of, um, of revenue. So I should probably talk a bit about that first. So they had this services division. This is a business that basically transports high-value goods around the world. So I think gold, bullion, central banks would, would get them to, to um, transport uh, uh, cash. I
0: imagine it stuff. like basically in a James Bond movie, like what the villain's targeting. Like these are kind of... 100%. <laughs> With
2: that metal It's uh, sort of, of like... Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like an armor guard, but you know, much more serious. Yeah. Um, they've got
0: like the briefcase tied to their hand, you know, st- whatever <laughs> their hand, like everything <laughs> explodes. Yeah. Nice. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, this was a really tidy little business. They established it. Well, they got involved with it about five years ago and they've tipped about 5 million us, I think into it um, to begin with, to get it up and running and they just sold it for 50 million, almost oh, wow. $50. Yeah, so it's it was big. cash return of 600% for the business. Um, and this is a business that you know it 's a services business, but it was a twenty percent operating margin and their, their revenues here had grown from four and a half mil in FY 18 up to forty mil last year. Um, but they sold it and they sold it for about nine times EBITDA, which is a pretty attractive price um, but it really it, well really strengthens the the, the balance sheet although that was pretty strong beforehand, but now it allows them to really focus on what I think is the much more attractive and sexy part of the business. Uh, one that has better margins, better competitive it's far more scalable, bigger growth opportunity. Um, so what,
0: what, how would, yeah, what are the two, there's two parts of the business left. How would you, what would be the two parts of the business?
2: Yeah. So, um, it, well, this, this one is called FFT, future fiber technology. So this is all about fiber optic sensing solutions. So it's for intrusion detection and location. So you basically lay a, a bunch of um, fiber optic cable along a fence line or under the ground, across a pipe network, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. In fact, conveyor belts more interestingly, even rail lines, roads, tunnels potentially. And they've got these little sensors that sort of um, measure the light that's going through there. And this is going to get well beyond my physics knowledge, but you can actually use algorithms to to use that to detect um, disturbances. So if someone's trying to climb a fence or even just walking over the ground and it does it, it does it in a really cool way. And it's, it's very, what's attractive about it is it's very, very long lasting. It requires very little power uh, to run and very little maintenance to kind of run. Um, so and- and we're
0: not going to drill you on the science of it, but with the simple kind of version B, they put this in the ground, for instance, and through some advanced math they can figure out that the light travels differently if people are walking or stepping across it is that kind of
2: absolutely yeah. it does some perturbation in in uh, in the light. perturbation and, that's that's
0: great I like that yeah. <laughs> no, <it's> bringing out <laughs> um, the big words i like it
2: this is like sort of they got a lot of proprietary algorithms here so they keep it pretty close to their chest and exactly how it works and even if they did lay it out i'm going to be honest i don't understand it but you come across a lot of tech companies that use a lot of big words and obviously go over your head. But where it's sort of interesting for me is that this is this is proven. This part of the business has been around for 20 years. It's in two and a half thousand sites. Um, U.S. Border Patrol, the U.S. Army use it, Australian Department of Defense, Sydney Airport, uh, Woodside Petroleum, BP and Shell. Um, so it's, it's really got some high value, uh, some really high or well, well-known um, mm. top tier sort of clients there. Um, and it's a really attractive little business. So last year, it did $18 million in revenue, which is like 50% up from where it was three years ago. And the operating margins here are really attractive, about 32%. And they reckon that there's a $1 to $2 billion addressable market. So on $18 million in revenue, obviously, they're not going to win all of that, or perhaps not even a, a huge part of that. But there's there's potentially a long way to run. So I think that's, that's really interesting. And I'll come back to that because they're, they're finding more use cases for that. Um, But the other part of the business is BQT, which is access control systems. So this is like security card access, biometric readers, like, you know, your fingerprint scan, eyeball scan, that kind of stuff, uh, electromechanical locks. So this is something that you'd have on a military base, on government sites, uh, um, like data centers. Sites where you want to control who's sort of coming and going. So, you know, Microsoft use it, ASIC use it, Australian Federal Police use it, Department of Defense use it, Sydney Airport uses it. Um, and this had some really great growth too. Revenues have doubled over the last three years. So And it's still tiny though. It's still like revenues here were $6 million, again, on a really tidy margin, like 38% EBITDA margin there. And again, the, the addressable market in, in uh, theory is, is quite big. It's almost a, a, a billion uh, Australian up to, up to almost $2 billion. So these businesses that remain profitable, uh, they're cash flow positive, they've got a good history of growth, they've got some pretty well-known uh, uh, clients and, um, yeah, so, you know, when you, when you combine those, so you've got a business that last year is on $24 million in revenue, making about 7 million in pre-tax net profit. Um, yeah. So it's, how, how uh, do they charge they
0: for eat. their services, Andrew? So is this like, is this one-time sales or is this, yeah, is this a it, sweet recurring revenue that market loves so much
2: well they're trying like so many others to to make it more of a recurring but yeah it is it is particularly with bqt it is one-time sales so which is great but then you've got to you've got to continue to sell more and more and more um uh but they they are really trying to push into uh, offer more of a maintenance um contracts and stuff here as well it's actually really interesting because even they, they they the the CEO Rob Broomfield was talking recently that even if they can try and get 10% of their existing in-store base in some of these maintenance contracts, um, that's, there's a big recurring revenue opportunity that were big in the scale that these guys are, sort of $5 million right, right there alone. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to move more into that, that SaaS modeling. But this is actually one of the, not one of the risks, but one, well, yeah, a risk and something to be aware of. It's going to be pretty lumpy. So I mentioned out some of the, the growth rates they've achieved. A big part of that in terms of FFT, at least, was they won this huge contract with the Indian Ministry of Defence. They've got uh, forty thousand kilometers of uh, networks. Uh, wow, data networks. that's a they're, yeah, they're, that's big. It's <laughs> like ten times the distance between Perth and Sydney, right? Um, wow, and yeah, it's 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 huge. And that was that just brought in. I, I think the total value of the contract was something like seventeen million Aussie dollars. So it was just phenomenal, and they did this in a really or interesting ways. So they actually do that with partners. So what they actually do is they actually licensed their technology. Someone else uh, manufactured it, someone else installed it and the rest of it. So you obviously get much less uh, of the upfront revenue from that, but it's, it's 100% margin. Right. And you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have any working capital uh, in that part of the business. Um, And just, you know, as I say, it's, it's pure margin. In fact, they, they've got a lot of um, uh, agreements, reseller agreements, go-to-market agreements with some of the biggest uh, um, security uh, firms um, on the planet uh, as well in terms of their lock technology and the rest of it. So it's sort of, on one hand, you kind of think you're giving a lot away there, but it just it, this is where I think the scalability of the business comes in. Um, uh, I guess that,
1: so they, that distribution as well, like it just helps them like really sort of... Get their products out there globally on a global scale and um, even though as you said like they're taking a bit of a smaller cut on the on the total rate or the total project like um, the revenue that they do get is very high margin and uh, like i think for that imod uh, the indian ministry of defense um, deal like they pulled in sort of seven million in last year alone um, and maybe like there's an even more exciting product that is i think they're testing At market if I'm correct Andrew I think it's called Aura IQ Um, and I think a little bit of that is it's like they're they've got their technology working on these big or or testing them on these big mining sites um, on these massive conveyor belts now like normally when you sort of think conveyor belt you're thinking something in a factory but at these huge mining sites they're you know up to five kilometers long and if something happens where there's an outage or there is a breakage it it sometimes takes quite a long time to find whereabouts that breakage is, uh, but yep. with sort of the fiber optic technology, um, I guess with AVA they can sort of pinpoint that to you know kilometer two or something on, on that conveyor belt. But maybe maybe you can talk a little bit more on that as well.
2: You've nailed it, Kev. That that's exactly it. So they they partner with another big company there. They actually started doing this a while ago, but it's only and it's gone through a few. Uh, proof of value trials which has been um, pretty successful but it's more than just just detecting i mean this is this is critical for any of these operations because those things break down it just stops everything but they can actually detect um, when things are potentially going wrong Um, one of the problems they try to uh, address as well is that there's a lot of false positives in some of these detecting systems as well so on a windy day or bird lands on the conveyor belt or something like that it can sort of shut everything down and then they realize there's nothing there so it's it's very accurate um, kind of stuff and this is this is a huge market they reckon there's a 50 million dollar sales pipeline over the next three years now again I'll just come back to where they're currently sitting at in terms of their revenues so it's a risk and it's an opportunity it's a risk in the sense that maybe nothing really comes at it and they've, they've you know they're just trying to sort of commercialize this at the moment but if there's, any, if there's any traction there, it's just a very big opportunity and it becomes one of, and this is something that is done much more under um, a, a, a solution as a service um, uh, kind of model too. So the, the economics tend to- They be get to call
0: that SaaS as well, economy. which is pretty sweet for them, right? Which, which is- <laughs> <sweet>. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not like all these other, what was the other, we'll talk about this at some point. I think um, a, ro- a robotics company talking about wall as a service, but uh, <laughs> you get to use <laughs> I love it SaaS, yeah. The-
2: the as a service acronym has just really been, you know, people are pretty liberal in their application of it, and maybe there's there's a bit of that there as well. So yeah, it's it's actually really exciting. And the, the thing is, is that it's what is the the, the blue sky here is that the, there's a broader applicability with this in terms of smart cities, in terms of tunnels, rail lines, all of this kind of stuff. And what's really cool about the tech is that in many instances you don't have to lay well. The fiber optic cable. You can use the existing cable that's there, and just add a reader onto it. And just sort of, so, so you're only just sort of putting a box at, at one end of it, and so it's kind of really easy to deploy. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's a really exciting um, part of the business. So if and this is the, this is one of the real things to watch here. If they can get some real success here, it's just there's all these new verticals that they can potentially move into. Mm. Um, so, yeah.
0: What do you think are the biggest risks or like what could derail them? Um, I don't know, Kev, if, if you looked at it as well, but yeah. What do you think are the biggest kind of pitfalls, I guess, you know, like we, we see, a, you see a big opportunity, but um, yeah. What what could stop them hitting it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I, I guess that security space, especially that hardware security space, like there are a lot of players in there um, and then, you know, because they're you know quite big sort of um, and risky projects, it's it is quite sort of lumpy revenue when it comes, um, and because it's not sort of that recurring revenue, you might get that big sort of sugar hit, just as they did uh, with the Indian uh, the Indian Ministry of Defence. Um, but it's about sort of if they can drive that repeat use and repeat sort of revenue model. I think that sort of. Um, gives the business a lot more sort of opportunity um, and sort of upside. The the second part of that, is, I guess, like with that technology, you know, if there's a something else that comes along, or if there's alternatives where a competitor has a superior product, or a, a product that's easier to use, or anything like that, where you know, it, even um, like a lot of these, I guess, high risk areas, most of them would have sort of security and. And security solutions set up already so um, I guess it's how many more sites out there that are like you know Sydney Airport or which bank or which um, defense force um, have not sort of upgraded their security infrastructure recently um, and I guess you know it's sort of looking at that sort of market opportunity in terms of you know how much more business can that future five fiber side win
2: yeah uh, th- that definitely something to be aware of. And the lumpiness really came to the fore in there. I don't know if you guys saw the recent quarterly result, but it was a pretty big drop, you know?
0: So would you say that um, it caused a lot of perturbation for investors? It's a word of the app. Ding ding ding. How how do you think about it, Andrew? Because I guess that's the challenge with lumpiness, right? When it's on the upswing, it's like, woohoo, you know, like it's everything's going well. But when it's on the downswing, I guess you've got the share price probably not as as buoyant because people are in for the the short ride. But then I guess you've got to maybe question yourself, like, is this is this a temporary thing? How long until the next next win? Um, yeah, I mean, how do you how do you think about that as a as an owner and investor?
2: Yeah, look I think I think it's one of those things that's you, you've got to think about as a business owner. Like look at the iMod contract. So it's just so phenomenally profitable, so worthwhile. But then as you said before, with with the comps it makes it it makes it very difficult. And that's what we saw. So they didn't get any license fee revenue from that in the recent quarter. And that's why you saw a big, big drop there, not just in revenues but in but in margins. So they're now guiding for like 20 million in first half revenue and two and a half million in EBITDA. So that, just, that compares to 12 million from the previous <laughs> corresponding period. Yeah. So I think the market was actually pretty reasonable in its reaction. You could imagine that having a real uh, precipitous kind of fall on the share price there, but but. You know, would you, would you, as a business owner, not take that just because it's going to be a difficult thing to beat than the next? Totally. Uh, next time? I, I always
0: think that when you're dealing with the markets, right, it's like people can get hammered for for stuff where it's actually like totally in their interest to, to do it, and, oh, yeah. and everyone's interest. But yeah, it's like you know, what have you done for me lately? I guess is the is the constant question, right?
2: With the, the market just, the market loves to be able to just take a, a lovely even staircase of growth and just extrapolate it forward. Mm. And this is why I sort of just, you know, reiterate that risk of of lumpiness. So in the next year or two, they could land another massive deal and just you're off to the, it looks super cheap and you're off to the races, or maybe they, they struggle to get, they just get a few smaller deals and it just, it just then starts to look a lot more expensive. So um, what
0: what does a competition look like sorry to jump in are there many others doing something similar with like the the fiber um you know de- detection stuff is yeah
2: yeah not that well i'm sure there are but there, so there's a bunch of perimeter intrusion stuff um and and so yes there's definitely competition out there so one of their competitive advantage they speak a lot about is this false signal kind of advantage where they they're able to sort of come in and sort of say, well, listen, we're very easy to install, very cost effective, got some nice big customers reference sites that we can refer to, but also your false positives are going to go down quite a bit. And that's a lot in the the, the black box secret source of, of the algorithms and stuff that they use. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard, it's hard to know because so much of this stuff is proprietary and and secret. So yes, it, and I would classify it as a pretty fragmented market, but but again, like I think their go-to-market strategy is is really sort of um, sensible in, in this. So for BQT for their for their um, their locks and their biometric readers, and that they actually partner with uh, Dormacabra and Assa Abloy, which are the two top locking solution companies in the world. Um, and they've got global sales ag- agreements there. And it just basically said allows them to reach markets that they would never be able to. So I think when you've got some of these big players on board like that, that have recognized the technology and that are partnering with it, some of the pipelines that are being built at the moment, some of the solutions that their partners uh, are offering is actually got um, Ava's solutions pre-designed and pre-built in. It becomes a core part of it. So it, I'm careful not as an investor to just to to see what I want to see, but I always find it as a very encouraging sign when very big players like that could form agreements with anyone. And I'm sure they've got other agreements with with, with similar players, but when they choose your solution and start integrating it into what they're doing, I think it's a really, really strong signal. Um, yeah. I, I But, but I, yeah, in terms of giving the detailed competitive analysis breakdown, I haven't been able to find too much yet there actually.
0: Yeah. No, excellent and there's um yeah so i guess the the outlook from here would be um just need them to win some more big contracts basically right like there's just the, the big lumpiness so it could be kind of something that goes sideways for a bit and then one day you'll wake up and hopefully have an announcement with everyone maybe another 20 million dollar deal i imagine like it, it's yeah
2: well part of part of the attraction for me is is that it's just seems cheap so it's not going to take much to sort of do that. So let's so strip away, strip uh, so The other thing you've got to understand here is that sh- if you buy shares today, you're going to get 16 cents back pretty much tax free because f- from the sale of this services business, they're returning about $40 million to shareholders. And that's quite a
0: lot. What's the share price roughly 45 cents or so. so you, it's
2: yeah. about 45 cents. Mm. Um, so that, that takes it back quite a bit. Mm. Um, so let's say it's sort of like a $68 million market cap on one that last year did 8, 8.3 million in EBITDA. It's an eight times multiple. So I've tried to sort of work it out what it is, but I think like on an EPS basis, it's sort of like 2, 2.2 cents per share. So it's like 13 times. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously the first quarter and the first half guidance sort of pushes that up a little bit, um, uh, potentially quite a bit. Um, but 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 as I say, it, it's only going to take a couple of um, decent contract wins to, to really make that uh, a, a super attractive to, to my mind. And I feel as though they've got a really um, attractive core offering with a lot more uh, irons in the fire there for for new sort of verticals to, to come on. But even if, even if you just sort of like go with what you've got um, at the moment, you just simply pro writer out the first half guidance. It's a business on four times sales. Now, price to sales are always a bit tricky, but this is, a, this is a business, let's remember with 30% margins, or it's about 13 times EBITDA. So it just, it feels as though it's a business that, um Again, very well for no debt, heaps, and they're going to have about close to twenty million dollars of cash. And again, this is a sixty-eight million dollars market cap business. Once you once you uh, factor in that ret- capital return to shareholders, there's just there's there's it's not going to take much to sort of surprise on the upside. So I can see that that there'd be a real potential for a revaluation by the market if that comes through. And that's the thing to sort of watch. I feel as though they've got the potential there. There's a there's huge alignment. well. So the chairman owns 13% of the company, 32 million shares. The CEO owns uh, 3 million shares or something like that. So directors and insiders all, all combined close to a quarter of the company. And um, they've got some pretty cool incentive maybe you could argue a little bit overly generous but you know these guys are trying um and i I feel as though i feel as though it doesn't it's not going to take much to potentially do well on this so it's it's yeah i that that if we were talking about a stock that was at a dollar i think it'd be a much more difficult bull case to sort of argue for but despite all of these kinds of things to watch out for it's sort of kind of in the price and and then some
0: yeah excellent well hopefully it becomes a more difficult bull case for you in the future (laughs) yes when you (laughs) on it again fingers crossed um but yeah excellent i just love that it's uh so underfollowed. i think I, i don't think many people would have even heard of the heard of it as well so um yeah but i think that probably probably brings us to time guys it's been been really awesome to chat uh covered covered quite a bit of ground um yeah so i guess uh, if, you, if you enjoyed the podcast, maybe maybe leave us a, a five-star review on, on iTunes and Apple. If you didn't enjoy it, definitely don't leave a review at all. <laughs> 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 maybe send us an email at uh, babygiantspodcast at gmail.com telling us what you didn't like. But no, we'd, we'd love to hear feedback. If you, if you had any thoughts or ideas for, uh, for future episodes or, or things you'd like us to chat about, um, please drop us a line. And, um, yeah, thanks very much for, for joining joining us, uh, Andrew and, and Kev. It was, uh, yeah, it was really great to chat.
2: Uh, we always love talking about small cap stocks. So, yeah, it's um, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Matt. It was uh, absolutely great to be here with you guys and uh, chat a bit of stocks. Awesome. Look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks very much, everyone, for
0: listening. And, yeah, uh, leave us a nice review. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Thanks.